0: Tonight in Exodus 19, we will see the description of God coming down in the cloud in smoke and fire, showing his glory to the people on Mount Sinai. And We'll see him telling us to prepare to meet him. Exodus 19, starting at verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, And believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base." Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Let's pray. Father, you showed your glory on Sinai with fire and thunder and lightning and smoke. Show us your glory here in this room tonight. A greater glory than the glory seen on Sinai, less obscured by the thick cloud, and change us by that glory from one degree of glory to the next. We thank you, Father, for your presence with your people at Sinai and your better presence here in the gathering of your saints. Help us to understand that you are here, to meet with you, to know you, to listen to your word. Help us to be ready for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this is surely the climax of Old Testament revelation. God spoke to Abraham for a few minutes at a time. Separated by months or years of Abraham's life. God speaks to Moses all day, every day, for a year. Here at Mount Sinai. As we saw before the conversation starts, there are a number of preliminary events here in chapter 19. The first is God's initial proposing the terms of the covenant. We looked at that last time. Obey my voice. Keep my covenant. Be a special treasure to me? And God's people said, Yes, we want to do that. Now the second event is God coming down in fire on the top of the mountain and manifesting His glory wrapped in the thick cloud, shot through with lightning, with earthquake and thunder. People could see that and they're so afraid that their knees are knocking together. The people all trembled in the camp. Verse 16. And then the third event, one we'll talk about next week, is Moses gets this idea in his head that this is it. We are going back into the presence of God. He tells everyone to come out of the camp and he says, we're going to go up Sinai. He gets them all to the foot of the mountain and God calls him up to the mountain and says, No, you're not all going up Sinai. The meeting is canceled. There never was a meeting, Moses. You invented it out of your own brain. So next Sunday we'll see that. You don't understand holiness. As God cancels this meeting that Moses thinks God has put on the schedule, warns Moses, no, no one can come up and see me. As if, of course... The fire, the smoke, the lightning, the thunder, the earthquake didn't already say, stay away. Don't come in here, you will be fried by the glory of God. So we'll talk tonight about how God manifested His glory, the purpose of that manifestation, and the preparation for it, how God's people were to get ready to hear the Word of God. Our text shows us that God's holiness demands that we too be holy. God's holiness also relativizes and overshadows our holiness. No matter how holy we become, we still need the mediator to come into the presence of God for us. God demands that we be holy and he makes us holy, but his holiness continues to relativize and overshadow holiness our holiness. We can never come into His presence without the mediator. That's what Israel learned from the smoke and the fire. So God says, first of all, verse 9, Behold, I come to you. They arrived at Sinai. God was already there on the mountain. He spoke to Moses as we saw last week. But God is coming more. He is manifesting His presence more openly. The Lord said to Moses, I'm coming. How do we understand the coming of God? God doesn't have a body. God does not have a location. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. So when God says He is coming, He means that He is manifesting His power in a particular place. A spiritual being without a physical location comes to a place by exercising power in that place. So says Thomas Aquinas, and I believe that he is correct, that this is what God means when he says, I am coming to Sinai. Not that God is leaving heaven, not that God is no longer omnipresent, but that God's presence is manifested by the exercise of His power in a special way here on this mountain, somewhere in Arabia. God says that the nature of his approach is such that he comes wrapped in a thick cloud. Not just an ordinary cloud, but a thick cloud. Now God has already been come walking before the people in the pillar of cloud ever since the Red Sea. But here he manifests himself more clearly. The cloud, as it were, gets bigger and brighter or the lightning gets brighter, the cloud gets darker, the presence of God gets more massive. Most of us have had the privilege of driving across Kansas at one time or another, and seeing ahead, it's a little bit of a green cloud. And as you get closer and closer, that green cloud gets larger and larger, and it fills half the sky, and then you shoot underneath it, and then it fills the whole sky. That sort of growth is something like what happened at Sinai. The pillar of cloud and fire is in front of us, but it's a manageable size, and then all of a sudden, it's not a manageable size anymore. God has come. Why does God come in a thick cloud? Well, the first reason is for His people's safety, so that He doesn't strike them all dead by showing His full glory. He comes wrapped in the cloud, to conceal his glory. If he just opened the cloud and let his radiance shine on the people, they would have all been dead. As he tells Moses later, no man can see my face and live. So God hides himself in the cloud and he's also showing us something about himself, not just his mercy that he doesn't come and cook us, but also what the theologians call his incomprehensibility which is a fancy word for you can't wrap your mind around God. God is bigger than your understanding. His size, his dimensions, his power is greater than your ability to understand. If you could wrap your mind around God, he would be smaller in a certain sense than your mind. So God hides himself. He shows that we do not know him fully. We do not understand him perfectly. And we never will. And the symbol of that is the cloud. No matter how much you learn, no matter how much theology you study, how deeply you think, how many volumes you read, how much time you spend in prayer asking God for illumination, God will still be wrapped in the thick cloud for you. We will see his face in heaven, and not until then. God comes in the thick cloud, and he says, here's why I'm coming. I'm coming that the people may hear when I speak with you. God is approaching close enough that the people can overhear the dialogue between Moses and God. Many theologians have taken the picture of the thick cloud and said, well, that means that God is, God is hidden. God is away from knowledge, and the best way to define him is by that which he is not. And thus, right, all our list of the attributes of God, infinite, we just take away the concept of limits. Eternal, we take away the concept of time. Unchangeable, we take away the concept of mutability. We can only define God by that which he is not, these theologians say, but God says the opposite. I come to you that the people may hear when I speak with you. And God does not open his mouth and utter a bunch of negations to Moses. He doesn't say, I am God, I am not limited, I am not time-bound, I am not stuck in a particular place. He says positive things like, Go tell the people to wash their clothes. God speaks clearly about what he is. And amazingly, as it were, it's almost like he's a teacher with a lesson plan. He lists his learning goals for this encounter. Here's what I want you to come away with. I want Israel to have heard my voice, to have heard me talking to you so that they know Moses that you have spoken with God because they heard it happen. So that's the number one learning goal that Israel would understand that Moses is the mediator. And then the number two learning goal that they may believe you forever. So hearing the voice of God, that is what Israel was privileged to do at Sinai. All of us have wanted this at one time or another. Uh, some of us, like yours truly, at times when you're deep in a theological argument with somebody, you want God to speak from the sky and say, my servant Caleb is right. God's voice audibly came from the top of Sinai. And we say, wow, if only we could hear God speak from the mountaintop. Brothers and sisters, you do know God's voice. Not in terms of sound, sure, but in terms of content. If you have the Bible, which you do, then you have the content of what God has said. You can recognize whether something is from God, whether something is what he said, based on whether you know this book. Israel is privileged to stand before Sinai and hear the voice of God. So are you. So they got to hear God's voice for a year. You get to hear from this book for a lifetime. And that's what God says. The mediator, Moses, you hold my authority. The people will believe you forever. We already saw this theme. What, back in chapter 5, the people believe the Lord and his servant Moses. But here it is again. God speaks to the mediator so that the people believe the mediator we have this drummed into us you should have faith in god don't have faith in human beings human beings will let you down and so we read god saying yes moses the people will believe in you and we say oh that's not right except that is right because that's god's learning goal for this encounter he wants the people to believe moses And Jesus reiterated this learning goal, didn't he? If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. We're called today to believe Moses. Our children and children's children are called to believe Moses because Moses is the mediator, brings the word of God from Sinai down to the people. He doesn't speak his own words, he speaks the words of God. So we're called to know what Moses says and to believe him. Moses is great because he relays God's word. Christ is greater because he is God's word. Moses is the mediator who ascends into God's presence on Sinai and comes back out of God's presence. Christ is the mediator who is always in God's presence. Believe The mediator. Believe the writings of Moses? Yes. Exercise personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's learning goal for this Sinai encounter. Believe the mediator forever. Moses comes and delivers then the words of the people to the Lord. Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Not only does Moses hear from God, He speaks to God on the people's behalf. That's what a mediator does. He gets the instructions. He hears from God. And he doesn't trot right away to deliver the message. He first says, well, Lord, the people wanted you to know this and that and the other thing. The text doesn't tell us what message the people had for God. We've all seen churches' prayer request lists. Those are some of the messages that we have for God. And Jesus cares enough about those to relay those to his Father. That's what the mediator does. Not only does he speak the word of God to you, he says what you would say to God if you were perfect. He prays on your behalf. If you could pray just right, you would present your case to God just like Jesus presents your case. Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So then the Lord says, "Right, the purpose of the coming, the two learning goals, hear God's voice, believe the mediator. But then God says further, here is how the people should prepare to meet me. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and sanctify them. So this is the first first step. Make the people holy. Consecrate them. Now this seems to be some kind of ritual performance. The text doesn't tell us how Moses consecrated the people. Or how he made them holy. Probably it involves sacrifice, the sprinkling of blood, like the other ritual holiness ceremonies later in the Pentateuch. But this is the first prerequisite for meeting with God. If God is coming on the third day, you need to spend two days getting holy. And how do we become holy? Are we abstain from sin? Yes, that's part of it. But holiness is more than moral purity. Holiness is a statement of purpose. Holiness is about existing for God. To be consecrated, to be made holy so you can stand in the presence of God is ultimately something only God can do. You can't change your own purpose. If you have a fleet of vehicles, you have one and you can say, well, this is my daily driver. And you have another one and you say, this is the truck that runs to the dump. Now you are allowed to assign those purposes. You can switch those two if you need to. And it's the same with us. We're vehicles in God's fleet. He's the one who assigns us our purpose. He's the one who makes us holy. And so how do we become holy? We become holy primarily through prayer. Saying, Lord, please set me apart from earthly purposes and help me Not just to be for you, but to live like I exist for you. That's the goal of holiness. If you want to come into God's presence, you must be holy. Unholy people don't want to be in God's presence. Unholy people tend to drop out of church. Coming and being in the presence of God does not interest them. But if you're holy, if you exist for God, then you understand that the reason you're here on earth is to be with your Father. And you want to go and meet Him. If you live for God, you will enjoy worshiping Him. You will want to be in His presence. So God tells Moses, Sanctify the people for two days. Also, they need to wash their clothes. What does this have to do with it? Well, washing your clothes is a sign of holiness. Indicates that you are set apart from the dust and grime of earth for a heavenly purpose. Same with the next one. Don't touch. There are two things that people are not supposed to be touch. The first one, and what gets by far the most space in the rest of the chapter, is don't touch the mountain. The place where God is standing on top of this mountain is holy ground. And if you touch it, you are dead. A mountain like the holy ground where the burning bush grew is holy. It's a holy mountain. It's set apart for God's use. That's what it means for it to be a holy mountain. This mountain is God's. God is on this mountain. Therefore, you don't mess with it. It's not for mere mortals to walk on, to poop on, everything else that we do on top of the dirt on this planet. That's why people and animals alike are forbidden from going on the mountain. You're not allowed to go into Buckingham Palace and examine the Queen's spare bedrooms. They don't exist for you. They're not yours you're not allowed to go to the holy mountain and examine the place where God stands. That's His place. It is holy. right? Holiness does not actually consist of negations, of not touching, tasting, and handling, but God used these things to teach His people about holiness. It's a statement of purpose. Sinai is for God. So it's not, for you. That's the message that Moses was trying to communicate. Then woe be to the Christian who forgets that and says, I'm as holy as God. If it exists for God, then it exists for me. Just because you feel holy doesn't mean you're actually holy. If something is holy, it is for God's purposes. That means that if you're holy, you are for God, not yourself. So the other thing you're not supposed to touch is your spouse. Do not go near your wives as Moses says on verse 15 in verse 15. What is that about? Again, same thing. You exist for God. Abstinence is not holiness, but it is a sign of holiness or a symbol of holiness. As we saw with the 144,000, these have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. God is not saying that women are defiling any more than He's saying that the dirt and sand of Mount Sinai is defiling. Rather, it's a statement of purpose. Since you exist for God, don't act like you exist for sexual pleasure. Since you exist for God, don't act like you exist to be a tourist and wander around the slopes of Mount Sinai. That's not your purpose. So, right question, do we show holiness today by living in celibacy, keeping our clothes clean all the time, and not walking on Mount Sinai? Is that what a truly holy person does? No, we understand that these are limited things. These are three holiness markers that God temporarily erected for his people to teach them that holiness means... Existing for God, not for anything else. We don't be holy now by going to Mount Sinai and standing back from the edge. We don't show holiness by wearing clean clothes or by living in sexual abstinence. That's not the point. The point is that to be ready to meet God, you live for Him and you keep His commandments. We can't be holy by erecting new barriers either. I don't drink alcohol, so I'm holier than someone who does. I don't do X, Y, or Z man-made conditions, so I'm holier than someone who does. That's not the point. Holiness means living for God. And the holiness of the mountain, the holiness of not touching your spouse, the holiness of keeping your clothes clean, all of those For ways of telling God's people, God is holy, and his holiness is greater than your holiness. No matter how holy you are, even if you follow these three regulations perfectly, if you violate God's holiness, if you stop following them and think I'm holy enough to go on Mount Sinai, you'll be shot. Right? Why? Why stoned or shot? Verse 13, no hand shall touch him if you violate the holiness regulations. The answer is that person has become so defiled. We could almost think of it as being killed by an electrical current. He is in the holy zone, and so don't you dare touch him. If You see somebody go into the holy zone, shoot him. Don't go in there after him you see a dog go in there, stone it. Don't go in after it. Because you will only be killed by God's holiness as well. So God says He's coming on the third day. Verse 16, And came to pass on the third day in the morning. Now This day is an important day. This is the time of the resurrection of the Son of God, in the morning, on the third day. Look for me at dawn on the third day. There's something symbolic and powerful in that statement. God says, you have two days' notice, and I'm coming at dawn on the third day. Just as in the resurrection, so here God comes on the third day. And He comes with seven signs. Thunder and lightning, thick cloud, trumpet blast, fire, smoke, earthquake, and the voice of God. Every one of them highlights the majesty, the glory, the holiness, and thus the danger, the menace of God. The Lord descended on it in fire. Well, on the third day in the morning, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Now The mother of all thunderstorms is there hovering over Mount Sinai. Only a fool would climb the mountain and walk into that thunderstorm where nothing can live. Right, the beam counters tell us that a large thunderstorm can throw off 1.2 billion kilowatt hours of electricity just in the time that that thunderstorm lasts, 15 or 20 minutes. The energy, the power of God is beyond all reckoning. That's what the cloud, the thunder, the lightning on the mountain tells the people of God. You think you're holy? You've been consecrated for two days. You are nowhere near holy enough to go into God's presence without a mediator. Just try. And if your fellow Israelites don't shoot or stone you when you get to the top, God will smite you with lightning bolts. But there's more than that. There's the blast of a trumpet sounding long and becoming louder and louder. This will be the marker, again, of the return of Christ. That trumpet blast. This is how we salute royalty. A 21-gun salute or a trumpet fanfare. Something along those lines, this marks the approach of God. It's musicians, but it's not earthly musicians, it's heavenly musicians. All of you know the 20th century Fox fanfare with the drums and trumpets that they play and the waving searchlights. That is a little paltry effort to rip off this glorious trumpet fanfare that says, God is is approaching. The most important being in the universe is here. The trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. There will be a trumpet fanfare again at the end. There's one here as God comes down. There's fire on the mountain. The Lord descended In fire. Remember that God is a pillar of cloud. God is a pillar of fire. He's already been before the Israelites in those two forms. And now he comes down as both. Fire wrapped in cloud. And you can see the gigantic column of black smoke pouring off the mountain and sailing away in the wind. You've all seen a tire fire. That thick, thick black smoke surging off into the distance. That here you're seeing the very stones and dust of the mountain being burned up. You can imagine the smoke of that, like the smoke of a furnace ascending up and blotting out the sun. And the whole mountain shakes. There is an earthquake, and it's not a five or ten second tremor. It is a prolonged thing that the mountain can't handle the weight of God Almighty. God manifests Himself in the physical realm to tell His people, this is how holy, how dangerous I am. Don't you dare approach me. Two days of holiness training is not enough. You can't come into my presence and survive. But someone can then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Right? Even in verse 19 before that, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. This is the climactic seventh element of the theophany. God has come. But He doesn't just come to terrify the people with a display of of His awesome majesty, He speaks to them by voice. Some of you probably have, and the Lord answered Him by thunder. The word is voice, not thunder. Of course, the Hebrew word for thunder is voice. They call thunder voices of God. That's why some translations say thunder, but it's better to understand it as the voice because God doesn't just show these signs of majesty. He reveals himself in his majesty he speaks to Moses in audible words and those words are written down in the next 57 chapters God comes in his majesty Israel says the mountains can't stand before him what chance do I have the lightnings destroy the rocks the fire of God burns the mountain And yet Moses can ascend into the heart of the storm and stand in the fire and speak to God. What is the lesson? God's holiness relativizes and overshadows your holiness and my holiness. And only the mediator can climb into the presence of God. You can only have Christless Christianity if you don't know this God. Who is a jealous and avenging God, whose way is in whirlwind and storm, who makes lightning and fire and smoke and earthquake. If you know God as He really is, you will say, I can't come into His presence. I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough. I will melt. I will blow away as the dust that I am. But the mediator can ascend into God's presence for you. That is what happens here. Now, the mediator himself doesn't get that, as we'll see next week. Moses comes down and says, okay, everybody, we're going up. And God says, no, no, no. No, you're not. But though the mediator at first didn't realize how exalted his position was, we do. The message for us is come into God's presence with the mediator or not at all. Don't think that you can just consecrate yourself for a few days and waltz on up that mountain. See the majesty of God. See his holiness and worship him through the mediator. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to practice coming into your presence through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Father, we thank you that you came in the thick cloud, that you came in fire, with thunder and lightning and earthquake and a trumpet fanfare to show yourself to your people, to speak by voice to the mediator and to tell him how the people could come into your presence through the Levitical system. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to seek the Mediator, to seek his holiness, through Christ, to approach you and know your majesty and glory and goodness. Thank you that you tear the rocks apart with lightning, but that you are a good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. We praise you above all for your Son, our Mediator, who speaks to you on our behalf and who comes from you to us to save us and to tell us who you are and what you want. Father, we thank you that no one has seen you at any time but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. We bless you for Jesus in His name. Amen.